What are we really up to in Venezuela? This hidden audio reveals the truth. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB Saturday afternoons. And uh, right now it's Sunday, just afternoon, 12 to 2. I'll be on today live. So feel free to call 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. So I'm going to say hi to my uh, trusty producer, Binkley. Hi, Binkley. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? That is just great to hear. Well, I'll tell you how I am by way of this. I received an email this morning, probably... The only petition that I have ever gotten from change.org that I'm actually considering signing. What's that? And daylight savings time. I am on board with that. <laughs> I've always hated it. It takes me like three days to get used to it. I'm terrible with jet lag. I just, I, I freaking hate it. You know. The other one, when it jumps back and you get an extra hour at the bars if you're staying out, that's okay. But this time, it's okay, but it's not worth it, and it ruins spring. Like yeah. I just, I hate spring because of daylight savings time. So, uh, but you know what? Sometimes if I'm on only running on uh, a couple of cylinders, the pace is a little better. So maybe slowing me down is the way to go. We'll try to make lemonade out of that today. So. There's a few things that, quite a few things, actually, that are on my mind, been in the news this week. One, although you may not know a lot of the backstory, I'm not sure American citizens really can know the ins and outs of foreign governments, uh, such as in Venezuela. But, Binkley, something you played for us, I think, on air, or maybe it was on our podcast a while back, absolutely rang a bell when I heard about the Venezuelan power outage. So they're going into, I believe it's their fourth day of no power. And the official narrative that we're getting remains that this was just a byproduct of socialism because socialism. And it's so, that to me is so obviously a propaganda ploy and you're talking to an anarcho-capitalist here, so you think you're anti-socialism? I, I'm, I think any government is effectively socialism. But our government here in this country is definitely socialist. It's called a mixed economy. It's like socialism and uh, I guess you could call it capitalism, which in itself, there are different various forms of that, crony capitalism, financial capitalism, uh, free market capitalism, which we do not have. And then there's like the extreme communism, such as China, which we exchange technology with, well, voluntarily or involuntarily, I guess. But we open the doors to China. China has a long history of humanitarian uh, atrocities, and uh, or certainly we've been told of them to the extent you can believe what you get from international news. So I don't believe that this is just some ideological crusade that happens to be uh, one of, if not the uh, most oil-rich country in the world, certainly in our side of the world, and that as soon as we uh, claim that their version of Nancy Pelosi is actually the president, 
you know, that's what we're talking about. When you say Guaido is that we recognize this guy's president, it's the equivalent of Nancy Pelosi declaring that because of Russian collusion or whatever, <laughs> Trump is not really president. Yeah. And then and we're recognizing that. I mean, is that a precedent you want to set? This is when I start talking about what American exceptionalism really means. It's not a precedent we want to set. It's an exception to a rule that we insist upon, which is sovereignty. And uh, so so this, so this, we announced a few weeks ago that we recognize this guy's claim to the presidency. We argue our official narrative is that the elections are not – uh, we're not free and fair of Maduro. We made the same argument against Chavez, and that was proven false for Chavez. But with Maduro, that ball is still in the air. But if you look at uh, various international reports, there are plenty of people with valid credentials, credentials at least as good as the people who are giving us our official narrative, that uh, Maduro did have uh, free and fair elections. And But you know what? It doesn't matter at all. Because it's none of our business. We don't know the answer. The fact that I could get somebody to call right now and tell me all the ins and outs of why his election was not valid just proves that we don't know. And we're not meant to know, which is why a limited government like we claim to have cannot also be an empire or or even just get involved in other people's countries through action, overt or covert. It's none of our business and we should stay out. And to the extent that our claim is socialism is the reason for Venezuela's troubles, then all the more reason to stay out of it. Let it collapse in on itself. I always felt that about China. If, you, if you're really worried about China, let it collapse in on itself. Let our freedom, our economic and political freedom and the success that generates be the, the beacon that others cannot compare with. The problem is that we don't actually have that anymore. We have socialism. So, or whatever bastardized form, our captive uh, capitalism, and we can't, it, it diminishes our ability to compete. And if you really want to peel the onion, you can go back and say, in the 19th century, we were so far outpacing the rest of the world simply based on our limited government, our economic freedom, not only were we outpacing them, but the uh, the way the gap between rich and poor was narrower. Wages, real wages were rising. Real price levels were falling. Standards of living were going up because the less the government is involved, the less capture you can have of the of um, like we a lot of our. It's called regulatory capture, where when you have a lot of regulations, it protects industry leaders from upstarts who can't really hit the ground running with full-on environmental departments, accounting departments, tax departments, all that kind of stuff. So there was this famous quote, I believe, from David Rockefeller's biography. Uh, I think it's an Undisputed, where his the the idea is if you want to actually have a world government, if you want the financial powers, the energy powers to be at the top and control everything, you need a certain amount of uh, integration. And you can't have that with with the U.S. so far outstripping the uh, 
less advanced, less free countries, they, they could never they could never get together. So you've got to not only promote those other countries, but slow down our country. But in a free system, we would be so far advanced of a social system that there would be no competition. But what gives them fuel in Venezuela to resist is that they see that they want this social system. It's I, I you could look at Sweden in days gone by. They had a very homogeneous, closed up system. And they wanted socialism and although it was perhaps inefficient, reduced wealth, wasn't what I would consider to be a just situation system, they did it and they were okay with it. Venezuela really can't do that because we have uh, because the Western powers or the powers that be, whatever, have a lot of control over the financial markets and the energy markets and restrict what Venezuela can do, does not let them uh, trade freely on the open market. And that, whether that is, it has the impact, that could be the whole problem in Venezuela rather than socialism. I don't know. I do not know. However, what does happen is that to the extent that is true or to the extent that the U.S. interferes in their country or in other countries, it gives the people the the fortitude to accept suffering in order to resist what they view and have reason to believe is empire. So it's I'm a non-interventionist. I want no part of that. I don't think we should be involved in other countries. We should stay out. And uh, we should view defense as being defensive. But what we're doing over there is uh, is subtle. Uh, we talk about it. There were uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to go into that we can we can date like over the past couple of years. I remember right after Trump got elected, he talked about uh, supporting a Latin Spring. There, I read an article in the New York Times last night about um, around that time him meeting with military guys in Venezuela who were interested in having a coup. This is in New York, the New York Times. There was also admissions from Pompeo, and he was head of the CIA, that we were conducting operations there. So we have involvement in that country, and we don't have clean hands. So when they push back and say, uh, we need to stand strong because this is an incursion, intrusion into our sovereignty. They have a point. So what we, it, I just argue for free markets, sovereignty, the right of self-determination. I'm not arguing for socialism. But I think the bottom line is we cannot uh, even know what's going on over there, and nor do we have a right to – it is not us exercising a right to self-determination. We just need to respect their right to self-determination. But even even more basic than that, we need to respect the right of the American people not to uh, have their tax dollars spent interfering in other countries for interests that are not necessarily our own. If it's an oil interest or a banking interest or even a geopolitical interest, that is not necessarily going to benefit the taxpayers in the United States. And and they have no right to use their money and their force to interfere in uh, the operations of foreign countries. So I think that kind of message is just not put out there very often. So I just feel like you have to Use principles as a touchstone, and there you go. Now, 
What's really going on over there? We have some hidden audio that I think uh, Elliot Abrams caught on tape. It's actually quite a funny story. I think we should probably do that at the bottom of the hour. Maybe we'll we'll do something uh, a little lighter right after the break. Uh, open for conversation, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like... Uh... Your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Well, I'm not sure how light this is, but it's certainly a good thing. WSB Channel 2 and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution have activated the Convoy of Care for West Georgia storm victims in response to last week's bad storms. And uh, WSB is asking that you bring... Infant and adult personal hygiene supplies, diapers, wipes, soap, other things like that, non-perishable food items, gloves and yard tools, and gift cards beginning on Tuesday. It's actually, I think it's only on Tuesday. There will be two collection sites, one here at the WSB Studios at 1601 West Peachtree Street in Atlanta and at Georgia State Stadium. Uh, It's the former Turner Field from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. this Tuesday. That's the Convoy of Care. So please uh, show your community spirit. I think libertarians are great uh, voluntary contributors. So let's tap into that. And let's see what else we had. Do you... I want to get into... I want to get back to the Venezuela stuff after the break because I've got a lot of clips and uh, interesting... um, Backstory that I think will uh, illuminate what's really going on there. But I need time for that. So I'm going to wait until the bottom of the hour. But one thing, uh, I got an email that uh, somebody, an article saying that YouTube adds a feature to fact check viral conspiracy videos and fake news. So this really galled me because... I just made the decision, together with my son's teachers, that uh, he's 16, he has Down syndrome, that he can't watch YouTube at all. I have not been able, there's just a lot of, like there have been articles about suicide memes being implanted, and you've heard this too, Binkley? Yeah, from kids. Oh, wow, yeah. Well, they're talking about it, and, and he actually was saying stuff like that, which I was confident he was getting from some outside source, like just words he doesn't even know. And uh, I cannot really, I'm open, tweet at me at Monica Perez Show if you've got an answer for me. But the kid's clever. He, my son is clever. He's he's not able to process, you know, strictly like propaganda or fantasy or whatever, but he can make his way around YouTube. And I have not found a way where I can really curate it I have to just ban it until I find something else. Yet they spend, I think they have, what, 10,000 censors, and they're not focusing on eliminating suicide memes from videos aimed at kids? I, I'm just flabbergasted. And then I got this uh, DM from someone saying, uh, YouTube terminated my channel. Uh, I'd been uploading Alex Jones stuff just to see if that would do it, but they didn't terminate my channel until I started putting up anti-vax stuff. And I've actually heard that that's, that is the hard, the full court press now is to suppress that debate. So, uh, but let's get back to Venezuela since I'm hitting the hot topics. 
404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. It's a man A man On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6, and right now I'm on Sunday, 12 to 2. Coming to you live, open for calls, 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can follow me on Twitter, at Monica Perez Show. We were talking about Venezuela. I, I cited a lot of uh, things I read, um, referring to facts and reports that I tweeted. I tweeted probably at least a half a dozen, if not a dozen, articles on at Monica Perez Show. So if you want, and from a variety of sources, nothing uh, like obviously fake news or disinformation. So you can pick and choose Paul Craig Roberts, New York Times, uh, UN Envoy, international observers, including uh, journalists and other, you you decide whose credibility you believe. And ultimately, my point isn't that I believe one story or the other. It's that it's none of our business, and uh, we have the American experiment as one of limited government, and it's not possible uh, or just for us to interfere in other countries. We can defend ourselves uh, literally. There's no such thing as preemptive war. You can defend yourself just like you have your own right to self-defense. What those limits are, what those parameters are, that's the only thing you can extend to your agent government, whose only justification, its only reason for existence is an extension of your right to self-defense. It has to fall into that category. But, uh, but I don't think that we're sticking to our own business here. I think that we are that there is a, a, a very plausible argument to be made that we are responsible for the power outage. The four it's going on four days. Uh, reports are in our mainstream media that uh, over a dozen people have died in hospitals because of the outage. The timing is a little crazy that it's happening now. And uh, and Guado, their version of Nancy Pelosi, who we have recognized as their president, said when Maduro goes, the the supposedly legitimately elected president, it's uh, it's up to debate, but there's plenty of accountings that say it is he is that when he goes, the power will come back on. So I don't know why this guy has some degree in uh, figuring out what's wrong with their power grid. But I'll offer a few reasons why I think it's totally plausible that just like Maduro and his guys claim that we are behind, that the U.S. is behind it. And that is because we have the capability and we have the capability because we intend to use it. So let me or we want the option of using it. So so let's play a few clips, read a couple of passages that um, I think support this possibility, and we should object to it if this is what's really going on. Binkley, what you, you played for me, my producer Binkley here, um, played unrelated to Venezuela, but as it was a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I had no, I, when I heard this was happening in Venezuela, I immediately thought of this clip you played for me. Tell me who said this and uh, just a little, the background and then play the clip if you wouldn't mind. This is a guy from this, a CFR panel. Council of Foreign Relations. Council on Foreign Relations panel where they were discussing cyber warfare, EMPs, 
Okay, and so it was recent. Yes, this happened uh, February. Okay. Oh, wow. So that's why you played it right away for us. This wasn't from the archive. No, this is a newer clip. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Every country in the world now has cyber in its battle plans, and usually in the first 24 hours of its battle plans. Um, in the perfect weapon, I describe a plan the United States had if we went to war with Iran called Nitro Zeus to basically unplug Iran's communications and electricity grids. Well, imagine that that's in the Chinese plans for the United States if they're in control of the communications grid of the U.S. or its allies. You can imagine how much easier that is to do. So Nitro Zeus, which is what this guy is talking about, is a project named for a well-funded comprehensive cyber attack plan uh, created as a mitigation strategy after the Stuxnet malware campaign and its aftermath. So if you'll recall, Stuxnet was a cyber weapon that was released into Iran. I don't know why we would do that. I have to refresh my memory on why, how it got there. But Iran discovered it. And actually, my theory is that it's important. We spent half the defense dollars in the world. The United States is responsible for half the world's defense budget. So how do you really justify that kind of spending? And we increase it. How do you justify that if the whole world together could not match our defense capabilities? Well, if you sell your weapons and technology to other countries who then sell it elsewhere or who become enemies or let it leak or whatever, if somehow, I mean, some people think that Robert Oppenheimer, who worked on the Manhattan Project, gave nukes to Russia, not because he was a communist, but because the defense industry wanted him to, because you can't have an arms race if the other guy can't keep up. And I always wondered if Stuxnet was part of that. Anyway, after Stuxnet, predictably, they up the ante and... uh it says that a guy named Alex Gibney wrote, uh, made a film called Zero Days and revealed the existence of this. It said the proposed long-term widespread infiltration of major Iranian systems would disrupt and degrade communications, power grid, and other vital systems as designed by the cyber attackers. So Maduro is saying that we've interfered with their power grid, brought it down, and uh, – and it, 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 that would be reprehensible. I mean, people, innocent people are dying. So uh, that's an act of war, and it's unjustifiable, in my opinion. So let's so we can keep going with this. Uh, oh, there was another thing that uh, this reminded me of. Obama, this was right before Trump took office. Obama, this is an article from the Washington Post from 2017. Obama approved a previously undisclosed covert measure that authorized planting cyber weapons in Russia's infrastructure, the digital equivalent of bombs that could be detonated if the United States found itself in an escalating exchange with Moscow. The project, which Obama approved in a covert action finding, was still in its planning stages when Obama left office. It would be up to President Trump to decide whether to use the capability. So Venezuela has been... Uh, on our radar for a long time. It would be surprising if we didn't have that kind of thing at the ready for them. We've Trump himself met with military Venezuelan, Venezuelan military leaders who were interested in a coup that was in the New York times. So there's, I think there's ample reason to give credibility to this. And I'm not even asking us to do anything except for not give our consent 
and that makes it illegitimate on behalf of the government. And you're not responsible. Uh, Binkley, what do you think? Are you? Yeah, and that stuff is also related to 5G and the Internet of Things because whoever gets control over that, part of the reason – I don't understand. The, the 5G is what enables people to control the grid to be able to shut it down. So part of this discussion – that was David Sanger from the New York Times and the Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah. Part of his discussion was about how whoever gets control of the Internet of Things and the 5G grid is going to have the power to kind of flip switches on and off like that. I guess I don't I, – I understand what you're saying, and I guess I don't fully understand the nature of 5G and its relationship to the Internet of Things. So I'm going to ask you if I can give you an assignment, a research assignment, All right. to give a special report on the Monica Perez Show about 5G, the Internet of Things, and what we should be concerned about, be happy about how if there are dangers to us if those have been resolved but i i really want the breakdown of it as the definitive go-to on this because i think policy is happening not even policy it's just being rolled out without discussion and no how can you make a an argument against it if you don't understand it so i'm going to ask you to help us as an educated voting populace okay so i'm going to take a call and then we've got uh some i think explosive hidden audio 404 872 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Bryant. Bryant, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hi. Uh, I heard you make a statement that it's never okay to do a preemptive action against a foreign government. I don't think that I, – I can't think of a uh, a justification for what's called preemptive – like, you can't – if you're being abused by your husband, you can't shoot him while he's sleeping. I think they actually say sometimes you can, so maybe you have an exception to that. But I, I would say well, aggression is aggression, and, and that's your justification. Well, if I just ask you a history question, if you could go back to the 1930s and do something preemptively to stop the rise of Hitler, would you do it? What I would do is prevent the U.S. entry into World War One, which if we had not given the victors the arrogance to implement the Versailles Treaty, Hitler would not have risen. It was we interrupted the natural competition between nations, and they then, in desperation, because they were so oppressed, uh, I think they did something desperate and were victim of, you know, really uh, supported an extreme situation that they wouldn't have been in if they hadn't been in extreme straits. I I agree with that. But you made a mistake and you did it. Now, should we do something to stop the atrocities that occurred? We might have been at fault in, in setting we it up. We could have done other happen. things. We could have opened our doors to the people who were being victimized. So uh, to the extent that we lost lives, people in the West lost lives, and we spent a lot of money, we probably could have saved more lives. It wouldn't have been, you know, as nice as if we'd had peace and harmony, but I feel like that would have been a, a better alternative all the way around. And that if you look at, if you, and what you're suggesting creates a moral hazard in that if you... If you allow past mistakes to justify, if you let two wrongs make a right, if you allow past mistakes to say, well, here we are, 
you know, we're pregnant, we have to have this baby, which <laughs> in that context, I would agree. Um, but in in this, it it creates what's called a moral hazard. So like Iraq, Iraq was people will say this was a very common argument that. Yes, we made mistakes going into Iraq, but we're there and we have to finish it. Well, what happens then? Then you make mistakes in Libya, you make mistakes in Syria, you make mistakes in Venezuela. And then, well, you're there. You have to finish it. I would say we can withstand the consequences of some of our mistakes and we should suffer the consequences rather than use it as justification to steal and kill, to interrupt other people's things. And with Venezuela, we can just walk away. Like there is no major commitment there. We don't like our dependency on their particular type of oil, but you know what? We can tolerate it. We could take some suffering to make up for those past mistakes, walk away and let them suffer for their mistakes of instituting a socialist government of, uh, of embracing a system that is not, <laughs> not going to lead to prosperity, liberty, and justice for all. So I think that you have to own your mistakes. And I think the only way to be uh, a righteous nation and a nation that is an example, the only way for a nation to remain free and prosperous is to mind its own business, to have to stick to real objective principles, because when you don't, it destabilizes the world. So then we go out and say, well, we have to do this stuff because Russia and China will do it if we don't. That isn't good enough, because if you're going out there and having foreign interventions, you're setting the stage, you're making the rules that then they pivot to. You want to take the high ground and hope they pivot to that, especially if you come at it with a position of high defensive strength and the high economic strength that would come from a truly free market system. I'm going to uh, continue this after the break, 404 750 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. So I just got a call from Bryant. If you could go back and basically assassinate Chancellor Hitler, would you do it? Uh... And I just said I would go back further and mind our own business in World War One, But it raises an interesting question about rewriting history. We have our history. We cannot rewrite it. Uh, we can suppress it. We cannot learn from it. We can deny it. Uh, is that what you want to do? And I am reminded of this periodically, but recently there was a cross on a World War One monument. So it was a totally different time. And people uh, want it taken down as being a violation of the First Amendment. And it gave me some insights into what, uh, whether you want to take down these monuments that do offend people. And I have, uh, I want to talk about it. And I, and I, want, I want both sides, I would like to hear both sides, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. But... You might be surprised at where I came out on it. But first, I want to wrap up this Venezuela discussion, or we can do both at once. But what's something that happened, I discovered on uh, a 21st Century Wire, revealed this hidden audio. It's so, <laughs> it's just funny because Elliot Abrams is our guy in Venezuela. And he was a guy I talked about when Bill Barr was being 
confirmed as the attorney general because Bill Barr was instrumental in getting Elliot Abrams pardoned by George H.W. Bush for his perjury and um, maybe other stuff during the Iran-Contra affair. So Elliot Abrams was punked by a couple of trolls pretending to be Swiss officials, but really they were uh, Russian pranksters. So let's hear that clip and talk about the implications of it or have a laugh even after the break. 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6, and right now, Sunday, I'm on till 2, taking calls, 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. And we are talking about what's happening in Venezuela. I am going to take a last call on that. I'm going to play some explosive video for you. And then I want to change gears a little bit. Something that came up before the break about the importance of history for better or worse. And if we want to keep the monuments around uh, for that reason or other reasons, or if you want to take them down because they're inherently offensive. And I can actually understand both sides of the argument. And I have, I think, some original insights I want to share. And I also want to get to some calls. Marie, Robert, you're up next. Just hang on till we wrap up the Venezuela conversation. I'm going to start with uh, a call. I'm going to go to Richard. Richard, you are on with Monica. Richard, Monica, I love the show. I listen every week on the way home from church. You know, I, you were talking about taking the moral high ground, the economic high ground, or military high ground. Uh, our mindset is different. As a republic... Uh, if you come up against a country, whether it's Russia, China, if it's a, a socialist dictatorship, any of those countries are opportunistic. They're not going to wait. They're not going to come step up with us. They're going to say, hey, they're doing it. They're taking the high ground. No, they're not going to do that. They're opportunistic, and they'll look at any weakness we have and exploit it in, in any part of the world state that you choose. So do you suggest we pivot to their principles? No, I don't suggest we pivot to their principles. But earlier you were talking about preemptive. Uh, I think of course, I'm from a military family I, uh, background. I think preemptive strikes are necessary. I think, I think the the, the benefits outweigh the cost many times in preemptive action. Who is making that determination? Uh, well, I think our American values make that determination. Our American what? Our American values. But but somebody has to make someone has to make a specific determination about who and when to preemptively strike. Normally, as a self-defense measure, you see someone attacking you and it's very clear people pick up their muskets and go to the edge of their property and they will defend it. But you're talking about something preemptive. Who decides where American force? But how do we... But how can they represent us if we can't understand the issues that that they are making determinations about? Uh, I think, pardon, I think that uh, if we sit back and I, I, I think sometimes now I, I'm suspect on a lot of things the government does, but I also think that 
you sometimes just have to trust the intelligence. Again, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's something in your county that your the police department has discovered or if it's a national thing. If there's intelligence, that there's a possibility or a strong suggestion that there's going to be some kind of adverse action that's going to affect the majority of people, and you know there's some good, credible intelligence, then it's, to me it's a moral opportunity and a moral obligation to act to prevent all right, I got to tell you, you brought so you're saying faith in government actors and you're saying you have the same faith in local police, but the difference is local police have a very clear system of accountability that the victim or the or the person they were preemptively moving against to prevent a crime and they're really not allowed to move preemptively until you've actually taken a step towards a crime. But that person has his day in court. It, there is accountability and transparency. But with this stuff, there is never that time. So it creates a moral hazard. It creates a moral hazard that actors inside the highest levels of government know they can get away with stuff just by lying. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I'm skeptical of a lot of things that the actors in the government do, but I also know some things that yeah, we do get a lot of things right. We get more things right than we get wrong. And whether people like it or not, America has always been the country that's taken up for whatever country that couldn't defend itself. Can't, or, you know, we step in and we, we're protectors of the world. And I think that's one of the things that that's uh, in our fabric, especially with our, our uh, Christian Foundation. I think that's part of our fabric. And sometimes, you know, if an evil man is allowed to do evil things and nobody steps up, then, then you know, you, that's, a, that's a moral fault to me. Well, but it, this, this evil man thing. is in a different country, right? And he only can do evil because he exploits the resources and the consent of his people, right? Well, that's true. But I think, like, you, like we're talking about maybe hands off with Venezuela. Hands off with Venezuela. I'm not saying we send troops into Venezuela. But uh, I think we can use any other opportunities we have to maybe to to let those people help those people free themselves from that socialist. But they don't want it. They voted for this guy. So is that is democracy that not I okay? Because I'm not really big advocate of democracy. But are you saying that democracy is not a good enough way to well, determine? True democracy is not true. Democracy is true. Democracy is not not the way the majority. But you know, you know as I know, well as I know that these elections in these countries like that they're tilted. They're I don't know tilted. about that. This one, the Chavez uh, one, would, the Chavez would, one was definitely. I mean, I don't think anyone continues to argue that Chavez's election was not right. And the Maduro think, one, it's debated. So so I we're if you look at any socialist country, any communist country, any socialist country where there is a there's an election in quotes, you know as well as I know that somewhere that that's being swayed whether it's intimidation, whether it's suggestion, whatever, those elections are being swayed. Now there are people, but you look at some of the North Korean people, they look at Kim Jong un as, as you know, he's, he's, a, he's a god figure to them. But some of those people are so brainwashed, and they have so much fear that they've accepted Do you that. think— You know, family members have been—family members have been taken in that regime, so the younger generation— I dispute that, that story 100 percent. There's no proof of that. Look, I want to ask you, do you think the voting in this country is above reproach? No. I don't think voting—when you, you have a mass of human beings <laughs> in one place at one time, yes, uh, anybody's devious intent can be manipulated— I think well, we're not a perfect country, but I think our elections are more pure, not totally pure, but I think they're more pure than any other election on this planet. 
Uh, I absolutely, really appreciate uh, the back and forth, Richard. I love your points. I'm very interested. I have to go play this other clip from that we're going to get to from Elliot Abrams. I, uh, I respect what you're saying. I believe that we have to respect the principle that whether you have democracy or not, I think this was Boetie, B-O-E-T-I-E, who first pointed out that all governments rest on the consent of the governed. And I think Gandhi proves that because you could just sit down and the government will collapse. I think if we lose sight of the fact that uh, we have human beings can be, you said it's part of Christianity. If you believe that human beings are not animals, that they have rational thought, you have to, and that we have the right, any justice and governance, any right to self-governance, you have to believe that human beings are capable of that. And we cannot impose our governance decisions on other peoples. It's not practical and it's not just, in my opinion, but I absolutely appreciate your good points. And I think, uh, a lot of the audience probably agrees with you, if not the majority of it. But I want to play this uh, this hidden audio that these guys... Now, here's an example. So you said Russia can't play by the same rules. I actually think that weaker countries, Russia's a weaker country, can really insist on the level playing field, on strict adherence to the rules. They really want to champion it, and they really want it, because rules a lot of times protect the little guy from the big guy. So until the table's turned, they might actually sincerely want to play by the rules. These are a couple of Russian guys. Uh, They don't claim to be affiliated with the Russian government, from what I can tell, but I'd be very surprised if they didn't have some protection, like the way uh, the Victoria Newland leaked audio from when she was plotting the coup against Ukraine. I assume that came from Russian uh, intelligence, but you never really are told that. But anyway, these guys, I found it on 21st Century Wire, the notorious duo of Vovan and Lexus, a couple of Russian guys, tricked Elliot Abrams into a conversation by pretending that they were uh, the president. One of them pretended that he was the president of the Swiss Confederation and the head of the Department of Finance, Yuli Moore. I don't know who the other guy supposedly was, but they got on the phone and Elliot Abrams talked to him a couple of times and absolutely believed that's who they were. And started, as he loosened up, started just telling him not nothing crazy incriminating, but it makes you think that the outage could have been ours, you know, our work. This is very recently, not too long ago. Uh, let's play. So this is Elliot Abrams talking to these Russian guys pretending to be Swiss guys. Binkley, let's hear Also, I wanted to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts about possible military aid to the president of Guaido? President Guaido. You know... Uh, uh, we're we're not going to do that. Yeah, um, I think it's unless right. uh, unless the regime does something completely crazy, like yeah. you know attacking the U.S. embassy. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, but um, our information suggests mm-hmm. that people in the regime and in the military are actually nervous about mm-hmm. a U.S. invasion, and we think it is useful to keep them nervous, mm-hmm. um, which is one reason that we will not say publicly, no, 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 this will never happen. Mm-hmm. When I give private briefings to members of Congress, this is exactly what I say to them. Mm-hmm. We are not trying to make you in Congress nervous, mm-hmm. 
we are trying to make the Venezuelan military nervous, and we think that it is a mistake tactically to give them endless reassurances that there will never be American military action. Yeah. But I can tell you, this is not what we're doing. What we're doing is what you see, uh, financial pressure, economic pressure, diplomatic so, yeah, pressure, political pressure. I agree pressure. with you. We could support you. So economic pressure. I'm not saying that if we were in a real war situation, you wouldn't want to uh, carry a big stick, or even in any situation, you carry a big stick, but uh, keep it by your side. But he's saying that they're using uh, economic pressure. They're using economic pressure. That means that his intent is to cause suffering of the Venezuelan people because he knows, as I just said, that the consent of the governed is what a regime relies upon. So by using economic pressure, he wants to artificially withdraw the consent. They chose this horrible form of government, and we are making it worse on purpose because for an, for uh, a, a reason that unlikely is what you see is what you get, or we withdraw support from China. My mother won't buy stuff from China. She never has, neither has my father. They said it's communist, it's slave labor. They boycott it. You know how hard it is to buy stuff cheap? Uh so I don't think what you see is what you get, and I think that's uh, one of the pieces of evidence for that. So let's let's move on to the monument question. Hang on, guys. i got lots of calls. 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. I'm not interested in fantasies. I'm interested in reality. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Moving on to or. Right before I move on to the topic of whether we should remove historical monuments, I just want to close the previous conversation with a quote from Taylor Caldwell, an author, very, very conservative author and a family favorite of my parents. Uh, she wrote in the first, mostly I think in the first half of the, well, the mid 20th century. She wrote, every ambitious would-be empire clarions it abroad that she is conquering the world to bring it peace, security, and freedom and is sacrificing her sons only for the most noble and humanitarian purposes. That is a lie, and it is an ancient lie, yet generations still rise and believe it. So my mom just gave me yesterday a book by Taylor Caldwell called The Devil's Advocate, where she wrote, uh, like, 70 years ago, basically what's going to happen to our Bill of Rights and the American experiment. So I'm eager to read that. It's always interesting to me when people see what's coming. I try to do that. I want to move on to this question, though, of uh, of uh, this controversy. It's going to keep coming up. Stone Mountain, Stacey Abrams, those are going to be uh, in the same articles in the future. And I want to know what you think and why. And let's have a civil, thought-out conversation. And um, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to start with Marie. Marie, you are on with Monica. Hey, Marie. Hi, Monica. So the question is, should we keep our uh, statue? Well, here's the specific question, is that I just read an article about a cross that uh, that is erected on a World War I soldier's graveyard, and people want that taken down because they say it's government property and it is a violation of the First Amendment because it's a mixing religion and state. It advocates religion. Uh, by the state, and I'm and I'm asking, would you do you want to take that down or do you want to leave it up, and why? Absolutely not take it down. Uh, religion 
whether it's religion, not religion, it's history as well. Uh, and it's cemetery, crying out loud. So yeah, that's a good point. So it is, it is a, it is a, is, I actually want to get into what the First Amendment really means. Your point is, it's history as well, and it's a cemetery. So you have the right, if a specific person maybe objects to it, but if they all agree that the cross is what they want, that, that should be an end to it. But there are deeper questions. I appreciate the call. Uh, Robert, Tariq, John, hang on right after the break. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6. Right now I'm on Sunday from 12 to 2. Open for calls. 800 WSB Talk. Or tweets at Monica Perez Show. Binkley, you got a tweet you wanted to, uh, you thought you should read, so bring it. Yes. Well, the tweet just disappeared. <laughs> All right, from basically, my... what did it say? It basically said that the story that we were talking about a moment ago with the cross, that it was not in a cemetery, that it was kind of in a public street area, I believe. Yeah, I. The general topic, the question uh, that I want to talk about is if we should remove memorials of the past because we don't like them now. And I'm thinking of everything from the Robert E. Lee statue to a cross that I just caught an article about over the past couple of weeks that we had said was uh, in a cemetery. But um, I think the tweet was pointing out that it was not in a cemetery. It was a, a memorial in the middle of town. And I see the article here. What it actually said, what I guess confused me was, it says the Bladensburg World War I Veterans Memorial sits mere miles from Washington, D.C. In 1925, the American Legion dedicated what one mother called her son's gravestone, a cross-shaped memorial erected to the memory of 49 Prince George's County, Maryland men who died in the Great War. So... She called it the gravestone, but it wasn't actually a gravestone. I wonder if those 49 men were all Christian, but I understand the greater point is that it was a, it's a memorial. And, and my idea, the reason it, this made me have a deeper insight, unrelated really to the First Amendment, I guess, which is what they focus on with that question, because it's a question of religion. I personally think the First Amendment is overread. It says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I think that's pretty plain, and I, I think that's what it is. <laughs> so Congress can't make those laws. That's not a congressional law. Uh, but but the bigger picture for me, and I want to go to the calls right after this rapid fire if we can, or at least give everybody a minute or two, that uh, – I believe, and I've really thought a lot about this, and I and I did not go in with uh, an expectation of where I wanted to come out, but it occurred to me that if we want to govern ourselves, we need to understand government and society enough to know that historical context is important and to understand the complexities of society and governance and why we need laws, why why there are different arguments, why things change, why precedents are overturned. And we also need to look back on those monuments and those representations of what was totally accepted in many, uh, like particularly for slavery, in, in 
it was an economic system for thousands of years. I mean, the Romans enslaved the Greeks like this was. And I can't I cannot imagine thinking that that is right. I cannot imagine thinking you can whip another person into submission. I can't even conceive of that. But we need to look back and be reminded, A, that it was our shared history, and we need to come to terms with that. I mean, I, my family emigrated in the 20th century, so I didn't, you know, it's, I chose this history. I chose to be part of this society that had those roots, and we have to come to terms with that. But we, uh, we also need to, to use it as a touchstone for our own understanding of ourselves being judged. And I think of, like, when you read contemporary arguments of slavery or uh, in uh, going into a country and taking property from indigenous peoples or killing them or enslaving them, I, I'm not sure I even believe the contemporary justification for that. Articles were written that they didn't have souls, so they weren't fully human. And then I think of arguments today. I understand a libertarian's argument uh, that a woman's body is the, you, you know, you can't go in and handcuff a woman to a radiator and make her incubate a child. I understand that argument. I understand both sides of the argument. But when they say, well, it's not a person, that's an argument that's been used before, and history has judged it harshly. So if you don't have those reminders, you really are – the the maturity of self-governance of our system really can't be implemented – if you can't understand that the principles that we've arrived at have emerged over thousands of years of trial and error or trial and success or a uh, an ability to progress morally because of, uh, of technological advances, I find that people are more likely, and I think this is proven, to steal when they're in need. So maybe we have the luxury of being more moral, but I think we have to understand history and context. I'm 100%. But if it's something like uh, a tyrant or dictator or somebody who did things in secret, if you've got somebody whose atrocities would be judged harshly in their own time, if you have something where uh, you you can't celebrate a Hitler, because you know it's wrong. Like, there's no justification for building the statue in the first place. And if you built it, it might have been a result of deception. So I'm saying things that shock the senses, things that are atrocities. Yes, you don't – It's I'm not neutral. I'm not subjectively neutral. But you have to understand, I think, that you have to learn uh, from history. And But I'm absolutely 100% open to other viewpoints. Uh, let's try to get to as many calls as possible. I'm going to start with Robert. Robert, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Great show. Appreciate it. Um, so you pretty much hit the nail on the head, one of my main arguments about the Cross Memorial in, in particular, uh, that Congress shall make no law. And the key word there is Congress. Um, any of the um, responsibilities and all the rest of however you want to describe it in the Constitution are pretty clear that anything not specifically delegated to the federal government is therefore in the purview of the people and or the respective states. Um, and the fact is that uh, people want to say things are unconstitutional. Let's let's get down to it. Uh, the American Legion, a private organization, raised the funds for this memorial. Number two, the land was donated by a local government. A local government is not Congress. No law was created by Congress in this Well, that instance. actually brings up another point, which is I don't even believe in the right of governments really to – 
to have land, to erect memorials themselves. A lot of this stuff is about being on public land, but I, I don't even really see the necessity for public land for the well, most part. And, and, a courthouse. To, to, your, to your point, I agree, uh, given the fact that the Constitution delegates the only land available to the federal government is the 10 square miles in D.C., and then any absolutely required to maintain or create forts and other uh, uh, Post roads. Ob- objects to create a, to allow us to defend ourselves, period. Uh, but the bottom line as we get down to brass tacks is that the government is the people. And I think people tend to uh, forget this simple fact that if you want things to change, go out there and vote. Um, you know, I don't particularly care for the fact that our Constitution, in fact, allows, and I would be a, uh, I would be vehemently in a disagree, disagreement with if they tried to do this. Bear with me. If a state wanted to set up a state religion called uh, blueism, whatever you know, whatever that is, fill in the blank, they have every right to do so, and the federal government can't stop that. The people can stop it if they don't like it. Oh, and that's why we have votes. You are bringing up a great point, Robert. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna say what I have to say about that. It's uh. Two things. One is that uh, the sorry, I, wanna, I don't want to forget both points. the The 14th Amendment is read to to change really uh, the immunities and privileges that it's read to. I'm not saying it was meant to. I'm not saying I would agree with the ruling. I haven't made a study of it, but it's read to say this is where it says no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdictions the equal protection of the law. So that begins to tell the states what they themselves can do. But I don't, I don't uh, like... I like things to be at the state level, and what I have thought more about is that I don't like the Supreme Court having the right to adjudicate whether or not congressional action is constitutional because the states need to do that. The congressional action, they don't – the Congress wasn't supposed to have an enforcement mechanism like the FBI or, you know, internal police force or anything like that. The states would have to enforce congressional law, and they could just not do that. But then you have the Supreme Court, which – which tells the states how to interpret the law, in my opinion, that you that you should be able to maintain state nullification. Uh, so I, I but in the case of the First Amendment, it's it actually says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So I feel like it's very crystal clear that this is strictly a federal thing. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I'm going to keep moving. I want to go to Tariq. Tariq, you're on with Monica. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, first of all, I appreciate, I believe we appreciate all the things that you do for us by sharing your ideas. Well, thank um, you. And I appreciate that your call because I like your ideas too. Okay, listen. First of all, yes, it's, well, when I look in the overall context of the motivations of the group that now want to get rid of monuments. Now, look, I'm a descendant of not only slaves, but Europeans, okay? But to me, I think when the people make their decision of what they consider to be acceptable or not as the years go by or decades, that you ought to have in your mind what the motivation is. And for me, 
the motivation to get rid of the monuments, it all reduces to the collective method of changing government and systems because that is an important indicator of the culture of a country. And so it's related to not only monuments, but, you know, sex, transgender, language. It, it goes on and on and on. So but you're saying they want to uproot the monuments because they want to uh, untether us from our shared history, from our culture, from stuff that goes deeper than simply this uh, technocratic over. Yes, of course. And just think about it. Some of them now, you know, if you look at a lot of totalitarian governments, uh, one of the things that they want to do is make the state, the collective, you know, big government, et cetera, et cetera, it, as opposed to religion. So in some areas throughout history, and still do in some areas, they attack religion. So it's all connected. So I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, as a child, as a young person, part of it kind of, you know, it doesn't make you feel good as a descendant of slaves to see certain things. But I know what the big picture is. They really don't care about slaves. They really don't care about women's rights, uh, transgender rights, or, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What the, the key is to change the government. This is their playbook that they've been doing for centuries, especially you can see what's happening with our social engineering the last, the way it's accelerated the last 50 years. You change, one of the quickest ways to change a whole system of government is through war. If you can't invade yes. a country and take them over, then you change the system by changing the culture first. It's I was just going to point out that Carnegie Endowment in their record says that they wanted to change the culture and they determined that the quickest way was war. And within a year, they had worked to successfully, I believe it was within a year, got us into World War One. Yeah, even, even, even the Civil War. Think about it. You had slavery for a long time before the Civil War started. It wasn't just because of slavery. You know, the right. you know, Lincoln didn't do that to about, I believe, about 1863 or so. And so there was some other, like John Brown, if I recall, my, I'm getting older, my history might be a little off. But one of those guys, Brown, he was actually a communist at the time. And you can look at, you know what I mean? And so they, that's one of the things that, one of the things that accelerated, of course, the economic system in the South was dependent on it primarily, right? Right. But the economic system, I got I to gotta take a break, Tariq, but the economic sure. system uh, in the whole world was changing, and that's why yes. it was going to go away anyway. So it does call yeah, into so, question. It's like their so, last chance for a war. So, so you know, they, you know it, it, a lot of it, there are a lot of different levels and, and components and elements that we really can't get on the radio because we just don't have enough time. And I don't, by any means, purport to be a historian. I'm just trying to learn. And the more I learn, my final, last quick point, I think the key, one of the biggest keys is we need to educate the masses a lot better than we have the last half century or so, because that's why we're so vulnerable. A lot of us just don't have a clue. I, I agree with you, Tariq. I Please, please continue to call and help me. And I, I say it's even, it's even more simple than that. Ask questions. Think. Don't take it on faith. Uh, we're going to wrap it up after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything she said is true. She knew. Nobody believed it. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
have time for one call. I'm going to give it to Wayne if he can give it back in one minute. Hey, Wayne, can you take one minute? Sure. Bring it. Uh, I have two thoughts. First off, on the the cross, the monument, the way that I understand the First Amendment is it's freedom of religion, not from religion. The United States is a Judeo-Christian nation. It's written on our money. It's written on our buildings. And the framework of our laws are based upon that. And that's the way that I see that. You know, it's that's just the way our, our country is structured. You can have any religion you want. It's freedom of that. But you can't go against our laws with that. But I think we've gotten away from of religion and 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 changed that. The other thing I want to make a comment on was the monuments. Uh, everybody brings up slavery, and, and that was definitely a factor. But there was less than 5% of Southerners had slaves. And even the North, Lincoln didn't make a deal about slavery until Gettysburg, when things weren't going good for him. And, uh, you know, it's the Taliban, the uh, Islamic State, they tear down history. And, you know, we shouldn't be doing that in our country. It's, it's what it is. It's history. You learn from it. Well, Wayne, you might have taken a minute, but it would take me a lot more than a minute to uh, delve into those complex issues that you just brought up. I uh, do not stand not arguing as uh, agreement, but I'd love to have the conversation. So please call back. Oh, Binkley, in 10 seconds, give me your wrap it up. They could make some of those monuments unifying symbols if they wanted to. Robert E. Lee, for example, helped unify the country after the war. So if they wanted to focus on someone being on the wrong side and someone helping, they could easily do that. But instead, they frame them in a divisive way because they want to divide the country. Again, I need more time. (laughs) So tune in next week. This is Monica Perez.